Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to Say Why to Drugs. Thanks again for the messages about the last episode. I'm so glad so many of you enjoyed it or found it useful. I hope you'll feel similarly about today's episode, where I'm joined by Lata Gautam from Anglia Ruskin University. Lata and I met at the British Science Festival earlier this year and decided that an episode around drug spiking would be interesting, and then media reports started appearing about the topic too. It's unclear whether spiking is on the rise, and as yet there's little concrete evidence that spiking via injection is occurring, but people are reporting these things happening to them, so this episode delves into what we might mean by spiking, what might happen if you or a friend are spiked, and how spiking can be stopped. So here's Dr Lata Gautam and I saying why to spiking. Can we start with, can you introduce yourself? Good evening. My name is Lata Gautam. I'm Associate Professor in Forensic Science at Anglia Ruskin University. Um, I have been teaching forensic science or forensic chemistry, specific to drugs of abuse uh, related subject, analytical chemistry for now, uh, feels like long time, from 2008. Um, my research is around sexual assault, drug facilitated sexual assault, drink spiking and other chemistry based topic areas. When we talk about drink spiking, what do we mean? Drink spiking means somebody adding drugs or alcohol or higher strength alcohol into alcohol, pharmaceutical compounds, without the knowledge of the person consuming that drink or food. So generally when we say drink spiking, obviously adding into the drink, so covertly adding something without prior knowledge of the person consuming that drink. So when... If somebody's drink is spiked, then what might happen to that person? Okay. Uh, depending on the dose and what drug is used for spiking, the symptoms could be different. So, for example, um, it could be sedation. Generally, sedatives are associated, such as benzodiazepines type of drug or GSB or even alcohol. Okay. So, sedison. Amnesia, that's where the victim forgets what had happened to them. Um, impaired perception, not realizing what actually is happening. And sometimes difficulty in maintaining balance, and that seems to be have featured in recent injectables cases as well, people limping and feeling pain. And uh, disorientation, not being sure of where they are, feeling dizzy, vomiting, unconsciousness. And depending on the dose that is used, it could lead to serious cases as well. Uh, but one thing I would like to mention is effects are quite similar to alcohol intoxication. So therefore, if the victim reports it, please do listen to them and take it seriously. I'm sure everybody is taking it seriously too. But because the symptoms are similar to alcohol intoxication, so that could be quite confusing in terms of whether it's alcohol intoxication or drink spiking. But in both cases, victim needs support. 
having spoken to people I know who've been spiked, they do seem to sort of notice a difference between just being a bit like having overindulged with alcohol and and the feeling that can happen if someone has put something else or or a lot more alcohol in your drink. Yeah, and some cases we have read about, you know, they had only consumed one or two glasses of alcohol and something happens, especially if something happens uh, when you are drinking normal drink that you would have drank other times, but something, some other symptoms are appearing, please do start thinking on is if something has been spiked, therefore reporting and getting medical help is very important. Absolutely. Do we know much about sort of the scale of drink spiking where where does it happen who does it happen to who does it do we know much about any of any of these questions we have some information available there are some publications for example there were 2600 cases reported by sky news few years ago but there are no uh, peer-reviewed recent publication in terms of the scale so for example there are some publications where forensic labs around the world have looked at uh, samples that have been submitted uh, for whether there is any suspicion of drug facilitated sexual assault. So it's not not only drink spiking, but specifically to drink spiking, there have I have not seen any reports. So it's quite difficult to say. So there are some now, some information coming up. So for example, BBC Radio Cambridgeshire recently had some interview programs and there was people talking about their recent survey and they had 100 participants. In the same way, at Anglo-Ruskin University, we conducted two surveys. It just seems timely that we just had completed one survey and closed that in 28th of September 2021. Um, so we have Results from those two surveys, one was specifically designed for men as participants and second was designed for general public. And you might want to know why did we target men, okay, without these things came up in media. Obviously, there were a few cases to do with men and the latest recent one was Renat Sinaga case, PhD student uh, committing rape and uh, sexual assault. Uh, From that case, we thought do men actually know enough about drink spiking? Therefore, we had started that survey. So that survey was running in uh, summer and uh, we have closed that survey and processed the result. Then we started thinking on, do we know enough about drink spiking? So that this specific second survey was uh, offered to general public, anybody 18 years and above. And looking at their results, it's drink spiking seems quite prevalent. Our participant size is quite low. So for men only, we had 69 participants. And for general public, we had 91 participants. So from 69 participants, we had 24 or 25 saying they they had their drink spiked or knew somebody who had their drink spiked. Whereas for general participant survey, we had 24 people saying their drink was spiked. And if we want to know if they knew somebody else who had drink spiked, out of 91 people, 81 either had their drink spiked or knew somebody who had their drinks spiked. That to me seems like it's quite prevalent. Yeah, I guess, was your survey sort of, did people know that it was about drink spiking when they signed up to it? So perhaps people with a specific interest in it might have been more likely to sign up maybe. So it's yeah, hard to tell about, about general prevalence from small sample sizes, something yeah. we've talked about on this podcast quite a lot. But as yeah, as you say, it's still... I mean, anecdotally, I know people who have had their drinks spiked and I think a lot of people that I know know people who've had their drinks spiked. So it certainly seems that even if it hasn't happened to you, chances are you probably know someone. 
to him. And also, it's not new phenomena. We do have cases from 1903, so it's oh, not wow. something new. Yeah. So, uh, first case, that, that case in 1903 was reported in Chicago, where bartender Mickey Finn was spiking um, drink of people uh, with the intention of robbing them. And he was using a compound called chloral hydrate, so that exists in the literature. So it's not a new phenomena, but recently what is coming up in media, uh, injection is a new phenomena. And even though our surveys are quite recent, none of the participants have mentioned that as a means of spiking. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you about this because it's something that I'd never heard of before the last few weeks, I guess even, this idea that uh, people are actually covertly injecting other people with um, the intention to to spike them, to um, render them incapacitated and take advantage of them, I guess. That's why people do it. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen sort of conflicting reports about this with some people saying, well, that you need quite a lot of skill to inject someone. It takes more than a split second. It's it's much more of a convoluted process than tipping something into somebody's drink. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts about this? Um, yeah, thank you for that. Personally, I think it's something not that difficult or not impossible for if somebody with the intention of covertly injecting or spiking somebody. That's not that difficult process because they really are not caring about that other person's health or their situation. Otherwise, they wouldn't have injected or spiked. So it's not something that they need. They needed special training for. Injection is something if we even relate to pharmaceutical compounds. You know, for example, diabetic patients they do inject themselves their pharmaceutical compound. So it's not that difficult. When we when we talk about injectables, maybe the dose is where can they really dissolve into to have the enough dose is something probably people are thinking. However, we need to remember there are so many different synthetic drugs in market. Because of that, and these synthetic drugs, or we call them designer drugs, some of them are more potent, stronger, powerful than the traditional drugs. Therefore, I think it is likely that inject tables are around. Also, World Drug Report 2021, especially the uh, one, one booklet that's part five, talks about injectable benzodiazepines, its use being increased. And there are reports about benzodiazepines and designer benzodiazepines, or the, the benzodiazepines are a group of drug sedatives, they're pharmaceutical compounds. There is a diverted or non-medical use of that drug. But also the same family of drugs are synthetically designer drugs that are available in the market. And that report talks about increasing number of injectables. That's really interesting. And it sort of brings me on to the next question that I had was that I know that you're we've spoken before we started recording and you're uh, quite keen to avoid sort of naming specific substances as you don't want to encourage people to think about using them in this way. But speaking sort of more broadly, the types of substances that people tend to be spiked with do tend to be sedatives. Is that right? So I guess if the purpose of spiking is to rob someone or to sexually assault someone, then a substance that can make a person more sort of pliable or more or unconscious, I mean, at a, a sort of extreme end would would yeah. is that correct yeah so yeah so if somebody has the intention to spike somebody to make them sedate or calm so that they lose consciousness or they uh, are unable to give consent or resist or fight back then these drugs are sedatives however there is also you know in in terms of the forensic cases that have been analyzed on drug facilitated sexual assault 
that is one of the motive of drink spiking. Okay, so if we use DFSA, drug facilitated cases, as an example, when uh, blood and urine sample have been analyzed, sedatives, alcohol obviously is the big problem. So alcohol is detected in more than 40% cases, but obviously the victim could have been consuming alcohol and somebody spikes or somebody might have been using the drug. So there are two types of cases already there in DFSA. Uh, but then sedatives are the drugs that are likely to be used, but stimulants are also detected. So all wide range of drugs are detected. So it doesn't have to be just stimulant. There are pharmaceutical compounds, antihistamines, um, antidepressants, all these compounds are also detected. And in terms of sort of the said some of the things you mentioned benzodiazepines already and alcohol um, and potentially other substances like uh, I did a podcast about GHB and one of the aspects that we talked about in that podcast was its use in these kind of things and the case that you mentioned of the man who was um, who was uh, dr drugging men and bringing them back to his flat that was suspected to be GHB that was used in that case, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, with GHB, or they also mention of ketamine in the literature. So with these drugs, the problem is that we call it half-life. Okay, half-life is within that time, the amount of drug is reduced by 50% from our body. So the half-time is, half is really short or half-life is really short. So for example, for GSB, half-life for GSB is 20 minutes to one hour. That means if the victim doesn't report their incidents or crime in time, within five to six hours, that drug could be completely cleared from their body. In the same way for ketamine is the other drug that literature mentions these drugs as detected in DFSA. Half-life is 2.5 hours to 3 hours. Therefore, if the cases are not reported on time, if the samples are not collected on time, chance of detection is low. And that's one of the big problems with GSB. And quite often in these cases where it is drug-facilitated sexual assault, people might not even know that it's happened yeah. because that's, that's one of yeah. the effects of these substances is that it impacts on your short-term memory. So you might be completely out of it um, and wake up and just feel a bit strange and not necessarily know what's happened and maybe only start to piece things together later or in the case of the of I've completely forgotten his name sorry could you Renard Sinaga yeah Renard so Sinaga there yeah. were a number of um people who were abused by him who only found out yeah. because the police got hold of his phone and he had filmed it so yeah. these people didn't know at all yeah and that's that's quite sort of Alarming. I think one victim actually gained consciousness and he reported at the, and then when police started investigation, they found digital evidence. Um, yeah, that, that's true. So quite difficult. So what happens is generally once the drink is spiked and if victim consumes that drink, so after consumption, when the drug started taking effect in our body, obviously there are many different drugs. Therefore, when the effect starts, how long does the effect last? They all are different, right? So once the drug starts taking effect, so the victim may start losing consciousness. And specifically, they said the sedatives have property called amnesia. So they, that's why, because of that property, the person does not remember what happened in the intervening time from the point that drug starts taking effect in our body until the drug is cleared. So therefore, victims have fragmented memory. In some cases, people have found, you know, there are articles where people are mentioning that uh, they were found or sleeping next to somebody else that they didn't know. And then they felt, how would I report it to my partner or family? How do I? Why did I go? And most of these cases happen uh, with people that they actually know they have gone out with. So therefore, there is guilt, same feeling. Why did I go out? Why did I do that? Why was I not careful? Why 
why was I drinking? Is it my mistake? Did I do something wrong? So these are all the feelings that people go through. Because of that, it's quite difficult for victim to report it on time. They are also in some cases not sure if it actually happened to them. Therefore, by the time they report, it could be quite quite delayed process. Therefore, I would like to say something here. So if the victim can, if the victim remember, if they know something is not right, they should report as soon as possible. Therefore, blood and urine sample can be collected on time and analyzed. But if somebody remembers later though, hair sample can still be analyzed. If somebody has long hair sample, um, hair, we say it's, it grows about one centimeter per month. So based on the length of the hair, so we could look at the history of drug use of the person. So therefore, it's, it's, it would be good for people to report it and yeah. realise there are different samples that can be analysed. Well, this, what you're saying here is kind of related to what I was about to ask you next, which is, um, or maybe even it's more of a, a comment than a question perhaps, but the, it's so hard to get at kind of the prevalence of this because, as you say, the substances that are involved impact on memory, Generally, people who are spiked are often in situations where they're consuming alcohol and potentially other substances as well. So it's we've all over, overindulged with alcohol and, and been more drunk than we realised. And, and telling that apart from an instance where someone else has spiked you can be potentially quite challenging. And then the substances used impact on your memory or your ability to remember what happened anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, getting an idea of, of the actual sort of scale of of this potential problem is really challenging and that it kind of brings me on to we're seeing a lot of reports in the media right now about spiking being on the rise um how do we know whether that's accurate or not well on the basis of our findings i would say it is it seems quite accurate if we are saying we have 36 percent of men out of the small survey size saying they their drink was spiked or they know somebody's drink was spiked. In the same way, 26% of participants from general public out of 91 said their drink was spiked. If we consider out of those 91 people who said their drink was spiked as well as they know somebody's drink was spiked, it's 89%. That's a big number. And if we look at literature, people reporting to police's law, they report it to family. So, for example, in general population survey, none of those people have reported to police. And if these cases we are coming up in media, that's still, in my view, is not true scale. There is bigger number than what we are seeing in media because people don't remember what had happened. People feel bad to report it, guilty. Why did I go out? Why did I do this? Because of all these things, people actually don't report it. Also, what seems to be featuring in our survey is people think, oh, it was prank. Somebody, I know this person did it. It was for fun. Um, and nothing happened to me. Therefore, I didn't need to report it. So these views are coming up as well. Therefore, what is coming up in media? I think it is true, as well as there is probably more more cases than what we are seeing now in media. I guess the media reports can have two effects that might also increase the numbers. One of those effects is a good one and one of those effects is a bad one. One of those effects yeah. is that other people see people coming forward and think, oh God, I that happened and I should have reported it. And so so it's shining more of a light on yeah. the problem. Yeah. But the other idea is that people think, oh, that could be a way of taking advantage of someone. So yeah. I might try and spike someone. And then sort of a copycat kind of um, see it in the media and, and get, get the idea rather than... Um, they might not have thought about it otherwise. So I guess yeah. that could be sort of a potential good thing and a potential bad thing about about these reports at the moment. 
Yeah, always. But also, um, yeah, so but when things start coming up in media, as you say, people may remember and people may start thinking it might have happened to me. But at the same time, when cases come in media, people's awareness might be increased. Therefore, they might be even the cases that had happened to them, but they didn't have strength to come forward. They might have come forward. I actually more think towards people have now started coming forward because at the time that, they, that it had happened to them, they probably didn't know what was it. In most of the cases, it could be, I was unsure what happened. But this also happened to me. I was unconscious. I don't remember. I had fragmented memory. So therefore, I actually think uh, people have not reported enough. But obviously, when things start coming in media, it can also work as awareness. So hopefully, it's making more people aware what not to do rather than to go in the wrong way. What are your thoughts on why we're seeing this increase at the moment? Is there any any suggestion about why we might be seeing rates going up? Is it a kind of reaction to being able to get out and about again after COVID? Or is there the substances easier to get hold of than they have historically been? Or why why do you think it might be? Okay, that's quite complicated question, <laughs> but interesting one. Well, it doesn't just link with drink spiking, general drug use, it's the same reasons, right? So obviously, there are reports in um, COVID time, what is happening with drug use, whether it's increased or decreased, and what is happening, how people are sourcing drugs. Obviously, due to internet, also due to easy ordering processes, encrypted messages or secure messaging system, contactless payment, and also postal delivery are the means why drug use generally has increased. So whether that has also caused, um, contributed towards drink spiking is something I wouldn't know as well as we don't know yet, but these are the means how and why drug use has increased and changed in the COVID time. And this has been mentioned in United Nations report, UNODC report. So before we kind of wrap up this episode, what do you think we, we being individuals, we being society, we being the justice service, um, we being researchers, what should be happening to try and stop spiking? Thank you for that. I have a few suggestions, actually. First of all, it's our shared responsibility of police, clubs, bars, policymakers, general public, all of our shared responsibility. So, for example, there are some good initiatives. Maybe there are not enough of those in everywhere, but maybe we should start spreading those and enhancing those services that we have. So, for example, there is something called Ask for Angela. Have you heard about that? I think it's a wonderful initiative. If people know, if people, those who are going to pubs and clubs know, if they suspect their drink might have been spiked, if they go to bar, a staff working in the bar and say, ask for Angela, that means the staff understands as the person is suspected, um, is affected or suspected of spiking. Therefore, they either find their friend for them or call a taxi for them to go home. So that type of initiative needs to be nationwide in my view. Um, there are also... Um, Possibly we can enhance on searching system probably or more security, more CCTV. We need to do something by which then we can minimize that these cases happening in the club bar or whichever setting. It's not only these cases are happening in club and bar. Recent news also talks about festivals and house parties. House parties is something we need to be careful because house parties generally people are, people know where, who they are with. If somebody's drink has been suspiked, suspiked and that person is with somebody else who intentionally had spiked, but the person actually says, Oh, she's my friend. I will drop her to home. We wouldn't suspect, would we? So it's quite a risky situation. So we need to look at that side, how we can improve on that situation. But also awareness program is very important. 
So why I'm saying awareness, I would like to link with some of our findings. So we had only 59% of respondents in our survey, they knew what to do if their friend's drink was spiked. Okay. And 91% in the male-only survey, they were not aware of support to the victims. And that to me means we really need to start campaigns, more awareness, more pamphlets and posters about what should be done, what support is available. I actually am unsure if there is specific support available to drink spiking victims. I know there are lots of support available. We have SAC centers, we have different organizations working for um, DFSA, drug facilitated sexual assault victims, but I am not aware of any drink spiking specific support so we need to increase that support we also can think about certain things in prevention sector as well so for example simple messages like not leaving your drinks unattended reporting like better awareness can running better awareness campaigns highlighting what are the dangers of drink spiking and so on because people are saying it's Drink spiking is done for prank and fun and for uh, taking advantage of situation. If these are the reasons people are doing it, are we? do we need to think about moral education? Do we need to actually start talking to our kids to make them more aware of? Can we really do these things for prank? Do people know this is a crime? And do they actually know what is the penalty it is associated with? So is it time for us as parents to talk to our kids and schools to... People have said schools are actually... Teaching or covering this concept. And people in survey have said maybe there is more emphasis and more sessions should be offered. So maybe do we need to bring these sessions in universities? Maybe we should. These are the things that I would like to actually mention. That's but so please great. stop blaming victims yeah. and encourage them reporting. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's really, really refreshing to, or I mean, obviously we talked about um, like making sure you keep an eye on your drink and that kind of thing, but actually it shouldn't be up to people who are at risk to monitor. It's the same with sort of thinking about um, women being vulnerable. It's not about women be- trying to walk home with their keys in their hands. It's about stopping male violence. It's the, this is the yeah. same issue here. It's not yeah. about people watching their drinks. It's about stopping a culture where spiking is seen as, as yeah. a, something to do as a prank or, or as yeah. a way to sexually assault somebody so it's really it's really nice to hear some sort of practical suggestions rather than just make sure you keep an eye on your drink it's like yes we know this everyone knows this yeah, everyone, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. well that seems like a great place to wrap it up then um thank you so much for coming on the podcast um Lata and i met at the british science festival earlier this year and um it was really fascinating to be on a panel and sort of hear about a side of um, drug research that I didn't actually know very much about. So it's really great to have got you on the podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And there we are. I've linked to some useful websites about spiking and drug facilitated sexual assault in the podcast notes. Our next episode will be a recording of a live chat I had at Latitude Festival with friend of the podcast and previous guest Fiona Spargo-Mabs from the DSM Foundation about talking with your family about drugs. Hope you'll join us then. Bye! Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 